here. And there we go. Okay. So thank you for joining me this morning. This is Bible Studies with Russ. This is study, study number 29 from Matthew chapter 19. Uh, this also can be found in Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 1 uh, through 12. Probably no more, this is probably not a more debated and despised section of scripture than Matthew chapter 19, specifically verses 1 through 9. Because we deal with the topic of marriage and divorce. And we probably know a lot of individuals who have, or who have been affected by, by divorce. Uh, some have been affected by not only by divorce, but also by an unscriptural by unscriptural remarriages, as we'll talk about later. And we also know those individuals who have, especially those who are familiar with the with preaching and teaching. Those maybe who are uh, preaching in some capacity uh, or teaching in some capacity. Uh, some of the uh, <laughs> blowback you get when you just read from the scriptures what the Bible teaches. Uh, and when you stand up for what the Bible teaches, uh, I remember one brother has been recorded. It has been I remember one brother saying he wished uh, Christ spent more time on marriage and divorce. Uh, really, in all reality, we just need to pay attention more and and to listen to what Christ has already said about it. Um, and so we think about <laughs> so much has been has been said over the years uh, concerning marriage and divorce. Uh, some very good things and some very terrible, terrible things. And let me move this outside. There we go. Uh, we think about marriage and divorce. Uh, you know, the, the numbers say that, was it one and two are divorced now? Uh, and I think any, any more, what we see is are people who are living together instead of uh, getting married, and, they, and what happens I mean, sometimes when you ask someone about that, they'll say, "Well, you know, we're only together for a while, then we're going to get married," and they never get married, or they live together for a while, but they separate, and they have children who are born outside of the marriage bond. The Bible condemns that; they call it, you know, not the children. It condemns the those acts that bring about the children, which is fornication. Um, and so, a lot has been said about it, and a lot of people have had. Uh, a lot of heartache because of marriage and divorce and remarriage. It is a very serious topic. Uh, you know, I haven't, what's, what's amazing to me is uh, I've been preaching Lugal now over nine years, preaching their location for a year and a half. Uh, I've never done a, a wedding ceremony. I've been asked. never done it, though. Because uh, usually what takes place is when I, what happens to me is, uh, I've had some people call me up who I do not know, wanting me to perform a marriage ceremony for them. They're not members of the church, or I don't know them. I, I don't know if they, uh, I never had one who called me up to claim to be a member of the church. But anyway, and uh, they want to get married. And usually what happens in those cases is, is it's very, very soon. You know, it's those cases where we want to get married, and we want to get married on Saturday, and it's Tuesday. Uh, you know, Um and what happens is I tell them, you know, walking through, this is what I, this, these are some things I require if I'm going to perform this ceremony. Uh, and one of those things I require is, or are rather, uh, various sessions of premarital counseling where both individuals have to be present. And usually, and what happens is that's enough right there. I hear, okay, and I can explain it to them. Well, do both of us have to be there? Yes. You both have to be there, and usually I don't hear from them ever again. <laughs> That's it. Uh, I don't. I don't tell them those things, so they'll 
you know, go away. But if I'm going to be the one who's going to be asked to, quote, unquote, perform the ceremony, uh, there are certain things that, that I'm going to, to ask. And especially when, when those kind of cases, I'm probably going to ask a whole lot more, a lot of questions, uh, because I don't want to be asked to perform a marriage ceremony where uh, individuals are living in sin and have no, no desire whatsoever to repent. Uh, I remember one case, not so long after I got here, we received a phone call like that, and I declined to do it. Uh, I told them what I required, and they were not willing to do that. And another individual uh, said they would do that, and I cautioned them about it. And uh, he, you know, he he went and spoke with them, and uh, I don't know how many occasions. And he asked him if, well, you know, are do they have any children together? I can't remember what all he asked. Anyway, and she, they told her, they told him, no, they don't have any children. Well, when he got there, they did have children. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of dishonesty there. And, you know, when I say I haven't done a marriage ceremony, it has been by choice. <laughs> I have had opportunities. Uh, I am very skeptical about doing those types of things. Uh, unfortunately, taking the part in a lot of funerals, <laughs> but not any wedding ceremonies. Um, but anyway, which really is not, that doesn't bother me <laughs> to not have done that. But anyway, so let's look at Matthew chapter 19, look at the text here, and I'll be reading from the New King James, and I'll be looking at some other translations as well uh, this morning. And as I, when, I look, when I read this section here, and I have a lot of various translations back here, like a lot of people do, um, where did I put it? Um, where did you go? They always disappear when you're looking for a certain one during times like this. Um I can open up my computer, but the, let's see, I know it's that, you see this always falling apart, here we go, it's like an old man groaning and sighing, so this is the New American Standard, Trans Standard Bible, is what it says here, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that there are actually different versions of the New American Standard. Uh, different publications and those types of things of it. And, yeah, there we go. That's actually what I'm doing. And then, so, and then here over here, this is American Standard Version 1901. And of course, I would pull out the standby King James, um, which says, if I'm not mistaken, the same thing the American Standard says here. But we're going to look at that. We're going to compare those here in a moment for. A good reason. But in Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, reading from the New King James, the Bible says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. And so we notice there in verse 1, multitudes are following Christ. Not an uncommon thing. You know, it happens a lot. They're following Christ. And no doubt the Pharisees, as we're going to find in verse 3, and some others as well, don't care for that. You know, they're supposed to be the ones who draw in the crowds, but they're not because uh, the attention is focused more on Christ now. Uh, Christ was not trying to, as we know, he did not come to the earth to build up a reputation. His, his, his multitudes that followed him were following him because of what he did and because of what he taught. Uh, the Pharisees were too busy binding things on men that they themselves were not keeping and were also in the disagreement with the word of God. Uh, but a great multitudes followed him there in verse 2, and he healed them there. Verse 3. Now, verse 3 to me is very important to, to make note of because 
The attitude of Pharisees is not one that they're wanting to actually know the truth on this matter. They're just trying to, well, to trap him. And we find in verse 3, the Bible says, The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, I'm going to open up uh, the American Standard 1901. And not unlike other translations, there are various versions of the American Standard. So this one actually says American Standard 1901 uh, on the binding here. Uh, which is it's actually very similar to, at least in my, in my experience, to the King James. And this is verse 3, and it says, And, it came in, and there came unto him Pharisees trying, trying him, and saying, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for, for every cause? <laughs> that's, that's the, the American Standard 1901 there in verse 3. Now, the American Standard, the New American Standard says, And some Pharisees came to him, testing him, saying, It's lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all. Now, the idea there is very clear. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason he, he decides? That's the question basically they're being asked. They're asking him in verse 3. Now, what's interesting is, you know, I've done some mission trips in various places, and that exact question has been asked numerous times uh, on on various trips here in the States. I've had people ask me that, uh, not members of the church, um, though some, well, the way they live, they believe you can, uh, whether or not they say it out loud or not. Uh, verse 4 says, and he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, verse 5, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, uh, verse 6 says, we're going to put all these, these three together. So then they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That is the Ameri that is the New King James translation of that. Um, and I'm reading from these various translations uh, to show you that the wording is slightly different in some. But it's going to get much different here in just a moment. Uh, verses 4 through 6 from the American Standard 1901 says, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? And says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Now, and I like the word... Maybe I'm a little bit I'm a little bit old school sometimes. I like that word cleave. But it shows the idea there being that you hold on to one another. Uh, and we find there in verse um, five. Let's see, is that right? Yeah, verse five. The New King James says, "Should be joined to his life, and two shall become one flesh." And the American Standard says, "For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife." Uh, that word cleave, you know. To me, it carries the same idea from Deuteronomy, I believe it's Deuteronomy 20 and verse 9, maybe it's 30 and verse 9, where it tells us we should, you know, hey, you should cling to, cling to, cling to God for he's, your, for he's your life and the length of your days. And you don't say how God will bless them, those who, who cling to him. And that's why I like that word cleave there, because in a marriage bond, you know, this is my opinion, you do cleave to one another. You do hang on to one another. You do so through good times and through difficult times. However, whatever form those difficult times may be, you cleave to one another. And that's the idea there that the American Center 1901 puts forth there in verse 5. 
Now, reading from the uh, New American Standard in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, it says, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Well, therefore, God is joined together. Let no man separate. Now, that is the New American Standard. And I like, again, it uses the word cleave there in verse 5. And it says, consequently. <laughs> Same thing as, so then. So as a result, right, there in verse 6, they're, they're no longer two, but one flesh. Now, verse 7 says, again, reading from... Um, well, let's back up just a moment. So verses 4 through 6, Christ goes back and tells them, you know, from the beginning, this is what God did. He created man and woman. That tells you who who's able to be married in the first place, right? Man and woman. He made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, I mean, this is the reason why a person leaves home, so to speak. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. If something is, you think about this, you take two pieces of metal, and you put them in a melting pot, I guess, together, and you melt those things together, and they become one piece of metal. And you pour that out into a mold, and you let it cool. Can you pull those things apart again? Reality, no. I mean, you can get a, you can get a sledgehammer and, and, and a, a chisel, or you can, you know, you can beat it all up, but in reality, those two pieces of metal, they're they're literally one piece now. You couldn't go in and say, well, here's here's a part of the first one. No, you can't do that. It's all one piece. That's what I think of here in verse in verse five. Joined together to his joined to his wife and two shall become one flesh. It means you can't pull them apart now. Verse six, so then they're no longer two, but one flesh. Now notice who does the joining in the marriage bond. Therefore, what God has joined together. God. Mankind gets up, you know, man gets up and says the words and, and tries to emphasize, and if he does so rightly, emphasize the importance and the seriousness of the marriage bond. And But it is God who joins them together. And he says in verse 6, let, let not man, reading from the New King James, let not man separate. It's also interesting to me that in verse 4, Christ, he begins by saying, have you not read? And that phrase to me implies, he's, it's like looking at them saying, do you not already know the answer to this? Because they ask the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Christ says, have you not read? Meaning, have you not read that from the beginning this was God's plan? And he says in verse 6, what, what God is doing together, let no man separate. Now we also know, the Bible also tells us that God hates divorce. And people will say that phrase, but yet they don't realize all things that... Uh, that it goes along with that. And this is actually found um, back in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16. If you want to keep your finger there in Matthew 19, if you go back to Malachi chapter 2 and looking at verse 16 and reading the whole section there, the whole verse of Matthew two or Malachi 2 and verse 16, the Bible says, The Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Now notice, for it covers one's garment with violence. That's being a reference to sin, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. That's a very big deal. Uh, and, you know, you read that today to somebody who is wanting to get married, especially those who are not Christians, uh, but sometimes even those who claim to be Christians would get offended by this. Because uh, it's easy to say, well, God hates divorce, but, you know, 
Because people will turn right around and say, right around and say what? Well, yeah, God hates divorce, but you know, sometimes, really, no, there is no but. Sometimes, no, that's not. The Bible doesn't leave room for that. Now we understand as we're going to get to it here in a few moments, and we get to that today in verse nine. That there is only one cause for divorce, and God is the one who said it, not man, not the laws of the land. Uh, you know, some states even have, I know California does have a, have a no-fault divorce clause, I mean, means you can divorce and there be no no one is at fault. But the idea there, I think it's you split your thing 50-50 or something, I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter, it's garbage. But look at verse 16, Malachi 2 and verse 16. The Lord God of Israel says he hates divorce. Now, here's a question to think about. Should we hate what God hates? Absolutely. We should hate what God hates. God, God hates sin and all its forms. God hates uh, wickedness. He hates deceit. And we find here in verse 16, he hates divorce. He says, now notice why. He says, for it covers one's garment. And, you know, he doesn't just say this. He doesn't just say it and then we move on to something else. He says that he hates divorce. For, it means this is the reason why God hates divorce. It covers one's garment, that is his life, with violence, which is a reference to sin, which means that whatever divorce takes place, think about this, wherever divorce takes place, there is always sin. There's always sin. Because at, if, if there is a genuine innocent party and there is a genuine guilty party, there's always sin. Now, we know sometimes there's not just a, a genuine innocent party. There's sometimes both of them make mistakes, which tells us, there's you know, yeah, there's sin, sin there. Um, but there's always, always sin involved in divorce. If they're divorced for a scriptural reason, what's the scriptural reason? As we're going to find in Matthew 19, verse 9, it's fornication. Sexual, that is the, action, the act of being physically involved with someone who is not your spouse. That is sin. So sin's involved. If this is a divorce for an unscriptural reason, sin's involved. And so sin is always involved in divorce. That's why we find here in verse 16 in Malachi chapter 2, for it covers one's garments with violence. That's why the Lord says that he hates divorce. He says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence. Says the Lord of hosts. He goes on to say in verse 16, Therefore, because God hates divorce, because it covers one's garment with violence, because it covers one's life and sin, he says, Therefore, take heed to your spirit, that you do not deal treacherously. Now, heed to your spirit, meaning you take heed to yourself and to what? How you are living. And he says that you do not deal, talking about how you deal with your spouse, that you do not deal treacherously. Now, treacherously means that you are someone, in looking up in Strong's, it says here, uh, a, treacher, a transgressor, a, a deceitful, a treacherous dealer, uh, a unfaithful man, Treacherous man, offend unfaithfully. Um, goes on to say to act treacherously, deceitfully, deal treacherously. To act or deal treacherously, faithlessly, deceitfully, offend. That's that's part of that definition, explanation, that word treacherously there in Malachi 2 and verse 16, according to Strong's. So that you do not deal what? Treacherously, like we just discussed, to to one another. Because if you deal treacherously, sin's going to take place. And it could lead to divorce. Notice I said could. Doesn't mean it has to. Now, let's back up now. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 19. And looking at verses 4 through 6, I think you just saw 
God desires a man and his wife, man's going to his wife, they are not separated, right? Which tells us, as we saw a moment ago in Matthew 2 and verse 16, God hates divorce. He tells us why. Verse 7. Now this really, if if we didn't pick it up on it in verse 3, we're going to pick it up on it in verse 7, that the Pharisees aren't interested in truth. It's about testing Christ. It's all about making him look like what? Someone who is blaspheming, someone who they can they can trip up. And the Pharisees, let's also remember, the Pharisees are very, very, if they ever, they are very, very slow learners. Verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce to put her away? Now, reading from the American Standard, here in Matthew 19, verse 7, American Standard 1901, to be specific, they say to him, why then did Moses command to give a bill of divorcement and to put her away? So they call it a bill of divorcement. Uh, the, American, the New American Standard, uh, verse 7 says, They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of, to, to give her a certificate and divorce her? Now, what does Christ say? Well, first of all, let's notice here how he, how he answers this. So they ask, Why did Moses do command this, right? Verse 8, And he said to them, Moses, now notice this, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to, to divorce your wives. Now, this is reading from the New King James. But from the beginning, he says, it was not so. So Jesus answers, because of the hardness of your hearts, that is your perverseness. From the beginning, he emphasizes, this has, this has never been so. Uh, not now, nor has it ever been so. Moses suffered or permitted, not commanded. He permitted it. It was not commanded. It's important to realize that marriage is not a mere civil contract, as Brother Patterson points out here. Now, again, it's not a mere civil contract. That's what a lot of people say, right? If you if you were ever asked to perform a marriage ceremony, one of the most important questions you can ask is, what are you going to do if you have an argument that you feel like you cannot resolve? What are you going to do? If you have an argument and you have a disagreement, what are you going to do? Because there'll be some people who, when they get to, when you talk about a, a disagreement, we're not talking about picking up paint colors or something. I want to doubt somebody got divorced over that. Um, what are you going to do? If the response is something to the effect of, well, we'll just get divorced, do not do that marriage ceremony. Do not do it. That marriage is going to be doomed from the very beginning because the first time they have a disagreement, What's, you know, if they have a serious disagreement, people are just going to give up. You know, I've heard of uh, individuals recently who I, who I uh, became aware of. Uh, they don't live anywhere near me, so I don't want you to think I'm talking about somebody specific here. But, you know, I've learned about them getting a divorce uh, from what was shared. Now, I don't pretend to know every, every detail of that story, but... Uh, from what was revealed was that there was no unfaithfulness. They just couldn't, you know, work it out. And to me, that's very, that's very sad to put, to put it at the very least. Now, if that is the case, as we're going to see in a moment, and many of us have probably already read Matthew 19, 1 through 9, a thousand times or more, we know what Christ is going to say about that, right? There's only one cause. Now, when you start telling people that, people get, can get very, very upset 
I mean, we read Matthew 19, individuals are in an unscriptural marriage, or if they were divorced for an unscriptural reason, boy, you can make a lot of enemies real fast. And let's be honest, Christ <laughs> did exactly the same thing. He made a lot of enemies real fast by telling them, reminding them, what God's plan was for marriage from the very beginning. Now, we go back to Matthew chapter 19. And looking at verse 7, they asked the question, Why then did Moses command to give his certificate of divorce and put her away? He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts. It means it's because of you. He says, He permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And so Moses permitted it. It was not a command of God. Now, if you read from the Again, going back to American Center in 1901, I do this to show that some there are some differences. We're going to notice a very big one here in just a moment. But looking at verse 8, he saith unto them, this is from the uh, American Center in 1901, he saith unto them, Moses, for, for, your, uh, for your hardness of heart, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it hath not been so. Now that carries out, that actually includes the idea, from the beginning it hath not been so. In verse 8, um, and the New King James says, from the beginning it was not so. So both include the idea that from the beginning, this was not God's plan. What Moses permitted him to do was not part of God's plan. Uh, now, would Moses have to answer for that? I think he ought to go judge him. We have to say, yeah, I don't see how not, right? Um, but God, you know, would deal with that. Now, let's look at verse 8. Um, and he said, now this is going back, I'm sorry, this is from the New American Standard, Matthew 19, verse 8. Uh, he said to them, Moses, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been so. Now, this could be one of those things that we talk about how God winked at, that God tolerated it. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that God tolerated in the Old Testament, but now, as we find there, I believe in the book of Acts, that God, uh, you know, God, um, yeah, he he tolerated those things in the past, but now he commits all men of order to repent, right? Uh, certain things were permitted. I mean, men had multiple wives, concubines, things like that. And this could fall underneath that category. But what we find here, as Christ points out, he says, basically he says, that doesn't matter. We're not we're not following that. We're not, you're not being permitted or being suffered or being allowed to do those things today. Moses did this, he says in verse 8, because of your hardness of your hearts. He says, he says we know what he says, but means regardless of what Moses did, but from the beginning, he says, it was not so. Now, that was not part of God's plan for the beginning. Now, if you look at verse 9, and here we go, right? The verse that ever, that's, causes so much heartache. But you have to also realize that this is a verse that when obeyed will not only save the marriage bond, but will also save souls. People are going to, when they die, I mean, a lot of people are not going to find <clears throat> not going to find themselves in paradise, let alone in the heavenly home, because they have disobeyed what Christ says in Matthew 19, verse 9. And Christ goes on to say here, now this is reading from the New King James, and this is one of those occasions where I do not care for how it's translated because it's not done correctly. Matthew 19, verse 9 says, from the New, from the New King James, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, that's a terrible translation. It should be fornication. We'll get to that in a second. And marries another, and commits adultery. And, okay, except for sexual morality, marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, sexual morality, how many things are sexually immoral that are not the physical act of being, <clears throat> of being, of being but are not fornication? Fornication 
is the physical act of being with someone who is not your spouse. Well, there, there are a lot of things that are sexually immoral, okay? We could list a whole lot of them, but we know what some of those things are. Lesbianism, homosexuality, uh, you know, all types of pervertedness. Or, and maybe maybe even we could include in there, I think, also requesting things of your spouse are sexually immoral. Okay. Now, <clears throat> so that is a terrible translation of that. The only correct translation, as we're going to see in a moment, is fornication. Because fornication is, as we're going to see, we are reminded from the very definition, is the physical act of being with someone who's not your spouse. And that is the original Greek language word that's used there. And now looking at the New American Standard, and we'll get to the American Standard in just a second. The New American Standard, notice this in verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another and marries another woman commits adultery. You notice it stops there. It's, it says immorality. It doesn't even say sex morality. It just says immorality. And then it stops and says, and it stops after it marries another commits adultery. It doesn't include, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. It doesn't even include that. Now, this is the New American Standard translation. Now, like I said before, there are probably some different versions of the New American Standard translation today. Well, this one is the copyright edition in 1985. It says by the Lockman Foundation, uh, Thomas Nelson, New American Standard, says immorality. Well, that's even more broad than sexual morality. How many things are immoral? Well, stealing is immoral. Uh, talking, you know, lying is immoral. Uh, beating your spouse is immoral, obviously, and and so it's even a broader term. And so, what if something is simply immoral doesn't open up the floodgates for divorce that are not actually permitted by God? Sex morality does that, and morality does it even more so. It's like taking gate open up a little bit, and you get to morality. Well, let's open up even wider. If you go and look at Matthew 19, verse 9, reading from the American Standard 1901, this New King, the King James says basically the same thing here, if I'm not mistaken. It does use fornication. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 9, reading from the, from the American Standard 1901, And I say to you, say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife except for fornication shall marry another committeth adultery. And he that marrieth her when, when she is put away committeth adultery. And so what does that mean? If someone is divorced for a reason other than fornication, which is, again, the physical act of being with someone who is not your spouse, and they marry someone else, they commit adultery. And so when someone is divorced for an unscriptural reason, that tells us also that not only is the person who, who, who did the putting away, but the other person also is not able to, to, to remarry. If the divorce is, for, is not for fornication, Neither person is able to remarry according to Matthew 19 and verse 9. And now, what, what happens today is we know we hear a lot of things about, well, what about this? What about this? If it's not fornication, it's not a reason for divorce. Now, we look at Matthew 19 and verse 9. The word fornication is a, uh, is a general, general word for several kinds of immoral behavior. Now he says, that's for the person. He says here, someone a broader, some someone someone to be broader, some may, some more narrow than Jesus. Why? By implication, Jesus allows marriage of the innocent party, but not the guilty one. Um, fornication is an umbrella term, but it also does mean very specifically the idea of a physical act of being with someone who's not your spouse. 
It is not simply sexual morality. It's definitely not simply just immorality. Uh, some people try to take immorality and throw fornication beneath that umbrella. No, fornication is the umbrella term. But it definitely includes here the idea of sexual act of being someone who's not your spouse. The Greek reads, whoever dismisses or divorces his wife, not for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. That's what the literal Greek reads, because the New, King, the New Testament written, is originally written in the Greek language. Now, and so whoever divorces or dismisses his wife, not for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. Now, those are some very hard things for people to put into action today and to apply those things. But it also tells us that marriage is a very, very serious thing. If someone is not ready to be serious when they're talking about marriage, they shouldn't be getting married then. Because you cannot just simply put some away for whatever reason. That was literally the question that was asked. Now you notice in verse 10, the disciples respond because it's such a very cut and dry response that Christ has been giving them. The disciples said to, said to him, verse 10, If such is the case of, of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. That's the New King James translation of it. He says, better not to marry, because why? Because there's only reason you can divorce someone is for fornication. Now, we know another reason someone can remarry is if, is if their spouse dies. Uh, I believe it's Romans that tells us that. That you know, if, uh, if someone whose spouse passes away is better to, re to, to marry than, than to burn with passion. Um those types of things. And so remarriage does not only apply to divorce. It also applies to someone whose spouse has passed away. Uh, but, again, why can that person remarry? Because their spouse has passed away. Their spouse is dead. You can't cheat on someone who's dead. And so they can remarry or marry again. I think really, to me, the, the phrase marry again in that situation is much more appropriate. They're not remarrying. They're marrying again. Their spouse has, the first spouse has passed on. But as you look at Matthew 19, 1 through 10, Christ tells us the, the answer and answers the question concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage. When we talk to people today and people start talking about being married two or three times, friends, that's not God's plan. People start talking about living together. That's not God's plan. And what's interesting, when you look at the numbers for those who have lived together before marriage, they have a higher rate of divorce. They have a higher rate of abuse. And so uh, what does that tell us? It, well, it reminds us that God's plan is the best plan for man. Okay, we're on stuff there this morning. We have gone over time. I do thank you for being here with me this morning. Hope you enjoyed this Bible study. And feel free to share with others. And I hope to see you again next time. Picking up in Matthew chapter 10, excuse me, Matthew 19 and verse 11 is where we will begin next week. And so thanks for being here with me. And I hope to see you again next week.